Hola socios, hola equipo. My name is Neil. I'm Liam. This is John Nurberger from Kansas City, Missouri, USA. Maury Field near Brisbane in Queensland. Edinburgh. Barcelona. And I'm a socio. I'm a socio. I am a socio of The Big Interview. Hi, my name's Neil. I'm a socio of The Big Interview from Maury Field near Brisbane in Queensland. My favourite episode of the last season was the one with Sir Les Ferdinand. I never realised that he'd actually played in Turkey at the start of his career. Every time I listen to an episode, I always learn something new. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Big Interview at the World Cup. Today, Graham Hunter and I will be looking forward to the first semi-final of Russia 2018 between France and Belgium. But first, Graham, you were in Russia, embedded for FIFA with the Spain squad. Julian Lopetegui was sacked on the eve of the tournament after it was announced that he's the new manager of Real Madrid. Fernando Hierro moved from technical director to caretaker head coach. Carlos Machena came in to fill the technical director position since Spain's exit, which now seems like a lifetime ago, but actually only happened nine days ago. They've been working on a permanent fix. And now, today, they have it. This is like the end of an Agatha Christie movie, isn't it? I've gathered you all here because the butler pretended to be the old lady in the post office and then what the post office did was allow Mr Green, the vegetable digger, to poison the post... It's very impressive, your grasp on detail, really impressive. Thank you, but as always, Florentino Perez did it. We all knew that at the start of the movie. Yeah, he did, he did. Listen, in retrospect, now Lopetegui was... Week He allowed his dream to slip through his fingers too easily, given that um, what certainly could have happened was he could have said to Florentino Perez, I will accept the job, you've got your man, but I won't sign, I won't make it formal until the end of my campaign with Spain, or you must promise me that there's no drive to um, announce it. In any job, you're never more powerful than when somebody wants you there and then. And therefore, if you don't make the biggest demands at the point at which you're in the seller's market, you make a mistake. So Florentino Perez did no great good to the Spain campaign. It, it definitely showed a group that, were, that had been unified, that their leader wanted to leave for something better. I think that takes the sheen off that really delicate, delicate diamond of, of trust. When, when you can achieve trust and harmony and mutual objectives, then it becomes, you know, a hard cutting edge diamond. This, this blew it. So, yeah, Florentino Perez did Spain no good, but Lopetegui should have been stronger. And it left them in a situation where Fernando Hierro, I don't think, had really ever any intention of staying on as coach. I've said before that... He makes a virtue of not becoming stale in a job, not staying particularly long term in one job of wanting variety. I don't think that he, even given the difficult circumstances, made the right choices across basically the majority of his games. He he did make choices that paid off. And I would not be wholeheartedly critical of him, but I think he, he didn't tip the balance, he didn't see the problems, he wasn't able to address the problems and um, on and off the pitch. And that led to an, an early and, and flaccid elimination, which which left the, the power guy still in a post as being Luis Rubiales, an ex-footballer of moderate talent. And he is a breath of um, 
<laughs> fresh air or Rubiales air. He is definitely a guy who, having fought really hard against Angel Villar and against um, the standing president of the Football Association, uh, Larea, a, a Basque man, and won the election, he is, after 28, 29 years of rule by um, VR, during which Spain repeatedly won things at junior, women's and senior international level. Change was overdue and change has been stark. There were, there were members of the Football Association fired on the day before or a couple of days before Spain left for Russia. When I got there, there were new staff that I didn't know had been appointed, um, staff who were suddenly missing, staff who didn't expect to last at the Federation much beyond the end of the World Cup. I'm not certain that that undermined, you know, the the new president and the the breath of fresh air undermined the World Cup campaign, but it's been followed through. It, It wasn't a sort of, you know, a breeze from the desert which died out as soon as it hit the city. The the change of Iero saying, I don't want to stay as coach and I don't want to stay as director of football, led by Rubiala's testimony to an immediate approach to Jose Molina, who listeners will remember was the goalkeeper in Atleti's infamous um, double-winning side of 1996 under uh, Radian Infamous why, just briefly? Infamy came from the fact that their owner-president was Jesus Hill. He was briefly jailed and for the death of several people in a building that his company had constructed. He uh, was variously accused of of other crimes. And I was in Marbella on the morning when his Grupo Independiente Liberal, i.e. Gil, <laughs> the name of his party was the name was his own surname. Um, won the elections on a promise to local people that they'd be paid more, on a promise to the cops that their wages would be um, increased and that overtime would be improved. Uh, there was a, a force of nature of people saying, vote for heel, vote for heel, it's in our own interest. And the morning after the election results, uh, his construction team bulldozed the previous mayor's house to the ground in a show of, I won the election. So this criminal who Quentin Fortune tells me used to pay them in, you know, bag loads of cash and who would take them to his back take the players to his back garden where he'd have a baby bullock running around so that the players could practice sort of quasi bullfighting in Jesus Hill's back garden. Uh, I think the word infamous is used advisedly. But the football was glorious. Molina was the keeper. And Molina went on to play for... He's a Valencian man. Went on to play for Deportivo La Coruña. And if people remember the Super Deport and the way in which they beat everybody, um, the way in which they came to Real Madrid Stadium, the Bernabeu, where the Copa del Rey final of 2002 was being played on Real Madrid's 100th birthday. And it was Madrid against Deportivo La Coruña and Deport won. It was a phenomenal performance, a phenomenal game. Um, so having won trophies with Atleti and Depor, he was also the goalkeeper who, um, despite losing 8-3 to Monaco for Deportivo La Coruña, in the same season went to the Champions League semi-final, which you will remember against um, Jose Mourinho's Porto when uh, it's 0-0 in Portugal. Depor come back, having eliminated Juventus 
I think 1-0 home and away. Then, having been... I mean, I was at this game, the San Siro, when they, they go 1-0 up and then 4-1 down to Milan, the reigning champions. It's a blitzkrieg game, and it's one of those games, just like Barca-Roma uh, this season at the Camp Nou, where, irrespective of the 4-1 score, the side that's lost by three goals has been markedly the better one. And in this instance, Molina and Deportivo La Coruña go to the Riathor and pump Milan 4-0. And I remember watching Seedorf and Gattuso just, and Maldini just completely bemused by the hurricane that swept them up, being unable to put their foot on the ball, unable to contain the waves of attack, which would have included um, Diego Tristan and uh, Luque and probably Roy Mackay um, and Donato and Molina in goals. And that's the stature of uh, Molina, who, who played against Luis Enrique for Atleti, against Luis Enrique's Real Madrid and Barcelona, 13 times, winning only twice. And then when he went to Deportivo La Coruña, he played against Luis Enrique at Barcelona um, six times and won five. Five out of six against that Barca side. And they were together as teammates for Spain in Euro 96. And when Rubiales goes to Molina, now they played together at Levante, and that's where their friendship uh, comes from. Molina said, yeah, I want the job of director of football, but I want Luis Enrique. And I think that, you know, there were a list of candidates. I had evinced a, a wish that maybe they would, they would risk on Zidane because to me that would have been a great story and it would have been fascinating to watch him pick up the reins with his ex-Madrid players and the other players of, uh, of quality, Calidad, around the Spain squad. However, as soon as Molina said yes, Molina said, I want Luis Enrique. Luis Enrique had been on um, the stocks for Chelsea. He, he, I don't think... Chelsea committed to him. They had had talks with him. They had their doubts about him. They want Sarri from uh, Napoli. And therefore, Spain were able to pay Luis Enrique a heck of a lot less. Maybe four, maybe five million euros less than he would have been expected to be paid in the Premier League to take over as a national coach. But listen, at a distance, who's to say whether this very individual, spiky man who's got a view of coaching which would not have allowed Spain to play the way they did against Russia, Neil, or the way they played against Iran or Morocco. He is a coach that wants to have the ball and then play forward quickly. Not long ball, but he wants to put the opposition under pressure. He wants to make them turn. He wants his football to be, albeit possession-based, not not uh, nullifying. Xavi did an interview um, over the last 48 hours where he talked about useless, boring possession. That's Xavi. And he talked about the way in which Spain misused the ball. And I was heartened because that's all my eyes were telling me. A lack of risk, risk averse, lack of creativity, unwilling to take the risky pass. And, and Xavi criticised that. And, and Luis Enrique won't have that kind of football. Nor would Lopetegui. So... In the instance, um, he has the right kind of dynamism. Um, he has uh, the right brand of football that will tally with the, ger the generation that must now take full responsibility. You know, even at the you know advanced age of 26, 27, it's still time for Morata and Thiago and, and Coque and Rodrigo and Carvajal and De Gea to take charge. And I will never forget, Neil, that for, for whatever criticism Luis Enrique invoked from 
ultra Barca fans. Now, I'm not one of those. I'm not a Barca fan. I'm a Barca chronicler. What he did was, he spo- and when he took over, he spotted that Xavi was disgusted, tired, unhappy, and about to leave for the wrong reasons. And the first thing he did in office was to say to Xavi, you're vital, you must stay, let me persuade you. And he got the president's backing. Now, he can't do that. Well, it would be a surprise if he did that to Qatar-based Xavi right now, aged, must be 38 by now. But the concept of what Luis Enrique values, the concept for what brand of football he'll ask the inheritors of Xavi, be that Asensio or Isco or Busquets or Thiago, to, to what brand of football he'll ask them to play, gives me at least some encouragement for the following two years. That's his contract until the end of 2020. Let's see how it goes. There's a big mix of egos and personalities um, between Rubiales, Luis Enrique and uh, Molina. I don't think Rubiales and Luis Enrique know each other particularly well. As a national team coach, you don't have to be involved with your president every single day. But it's going to be interesting. Okay, let's take a short break now. When we get back, we're going to move from the Spanish national team to the first World Cup semi-final. France versus Belgium coming up. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. And we're back. Let's talk about the first semi-final of this riveting World Cup. Tomorrow evening is France versus Belgium. And there are mouth-watering matchups all over the pitch. But let's start in the dugout. Graham, we talked briefly-ish last time about Thierry Henry, the method by which Roberto Martinez recruited him, and the impact we were beginning to see that he might be having on this Belgium team. Since then... Is there any evidence that you can see that that influence is growing? I think we said it more strongly. We said it more strongly because both your and my eyes had seen a difference, an edge to Belgium, a confidence. And everybody's talking about it because, which I don't think makes it a cliche or boring, it's the fact that we've been despairing about why a collection, for some years now, a collection of certainly Belgium's best talents for at least a generation, maybe two. I grew up watching extraordinary Belgian football in the 70s. 
And then there was a time at 86 where you thought, well, this is still very special. But unquestionably, this group over the tournaments that we've seen them in should have been as competitive over the last eight years minimum, which encompasses, what, four tournaments, I think, as they are now. And, and Thierry Henry, according to the players, that's the key thing, has been central. Now, the irony, the beauty of what makes football so intricate and so theatrical and so um, dramatic is that, you know, his success with Roberto Martinez has taken Belgium to a local derby to play against the team they've faced most in their history. It's got an edge, a proper edge. They dislike each other. The French sneer at the Belgians and the Belgians, like Scotland to England, want to pretend that they don't care, but they do. And it's Thierry Henry helping Roberto Martinez face Didier Deschamps, these two guys that won the World Cup together in 1998, two guys who played together briefly um, for Juventus, very briefly as Deschamps was ending his time and Thierry Henry was going there in next to complete failure from Monaco at a point where he was about to be signed after the end of one season by Arsene Wenger at uh, Arsenal. And the irony of this, Neil, is that when Thierry Henry wanted to add coaching to his his clear ability on television, when he wanted to get his badge, when he wanted to be reincorporated into the Arsenal structure, Wenger, it appears to me, punished him for being accurate and open and honestly critical of the Arsenal setup. Accurate in terms of he said that the squad lacked character. He said that Arsene Wenger wasn't doing a good job. He said that he could not see Arsenal winning the title again under Arsene Wenger because he learned on television to tell the truth as he understood it. And it, and it, was, it was right. It was spot on. And therefore, I know that at one stage when he was, I think, trying to do one of his coaching stages, he appealed to Arsenal to go and let him get some practice. And Wenger put him on the crappiest pitch at Colney, the furthest away from the changing rooms, as if to say, I'm giving you the minimum for what you've done for the club, the bare minimum. Now, I know that from, you know, an ex-teammate of Thierry's, not from Thierry himself, but I think that Arsene Wenger's maladroit handling of somebody that he was afraid of, you know, Thierry Henry effectively was the one who said, the emperor isn't wearing great new clothes, the emperor's naked. And I respected him for that, uh, not because of my desire for empirical nudity, but, you know, I think it's our job, all of our job, once we get recruited by a paper, a magazine, a podcast, the television, the radio, to, to tell the uncomfortable truths as long as we're sure they're correct. And that's what Thierry Henry did. And I think he found it hard at first. Every ex-footballer tends to find it hard to be critical of those that they know. But as long as it's constructive criticism, something that I want to point out that David De Gea said throughout this World Cup and post the World Cup, that he welcomed constructive criticism. Mocking, ridicule, agendas being um, played out, no. But constructive criticism, yes, and I think that's very healthy. I think Arsene Wenger suffered for a very long time at not being able to take that. For that reason, it's the case that Thierry Henry was was looking for somebody to say, you're important, I value you, you have a specific role and I'm going to paint it for you, I'm going to tell you, I don't just want you, and he doesn't need the money, 
in inverted commas, whatever he's earning from the Belgian FA as assistant coach to Roberto Martinez. But, you know, it's, it's partly Wenger's fault that France are facing a more powerful Belgium with, well, powered by Titi Henry power. So, Graham, we spoke last time about the motivation behind Martinez's appointment of Henri, having that kind of star quality, the World Cup experience that he could get across to these elite players that Belgium have. But what do we know about the other side of that equation? How have the, the stars, the superstars in Martinez's squad reacted to Henri? Well, they, they've, one after the other, spoken about specifics. And you used a phrase when we were building up to this podcast, you specifically said, I imagine that he's a perfect person to go one-on-one tuition with specific players. Now, I don't think we need to repeat what we've done in previous podcasts about the palpable change in Lukaku. Not simply maturing, or as an international footballer, but the absolute, complete difference in involvement and conviction and efficacy of his play for Belgium now compared to when people don't appreciate him for Manchester United, which is that his record with United has has obviously been extremely good if you look at goals to minutes, if you look at the way in which Mourinho wants his team to play. But do you? this is the great thing. For those of us who who would have been saying to ourselves, without the ability to be in the training ground and prove it to ourselves, is that all there is from Lukaku? Because he was playing better than this for Anderlecht coming through. And there were spells, particularly for Roberto Martinez, when he played better than this for Everton. And it's clear that he's not yet an ultra-sophisticated footballer in technical terms. Moments, yes. Intelligence, you can see it. But you you... You keep thinking that the dials are fluttering at seven when they could be fluttering at eight and a half or nine. And now we're beginning to see it. So the, the only impact there, irrespective of the fact that player after player um, comes out and talks about it, is, is, is patent to the eye. But what I think is, is important is, is what Thierry Henry feels. So he, he talked to L'Equipe a few months ago about saying, the reason I'm not with France under Deschamps, my ex-teammate, is that nobody called me, nobody asked me, nobody kept in touch with me, and I'm not the type to put myself forward. I wanted a chance to express myself in a coaching way, but I wanted to be wanted. And Deschamps has obviously been peppered with questions about this in the days leading up to the St. Petersburg match on Tuesday. And he's saying, I'm happy for Titi. He was a fabulous footballer, and this is a second career, and it's complicated getting starting in that. And Deschamps himself says, Titi's experience as a player is something evidently important for that team. And what I find interesting is that just as Henri was underappreciated by um, Arsene Wenger, Noah Legray, the president of the French FA, has said, you know, we just lost sight of him. We've got very little contact with him at the Federation. Life's like that. He's been in England a long time and I've had very little contact with him. Well, without being on the attack because France maybe go out and win this and, you know, then Thierry Henry has just become a footballing supplement to to Belgium and it hasn't quite been enough. And, And maybe that moves on. But after the anthems have played and he has to check out which one he wants to sing along to, if we see a Thierry Henry inspired Belgium win, then Noel Legray needs to be saying to himself, well, I, I, I wonder if I'd 
drop the ball a little bit there, at least being in touch. And here's the element that I like, Neil, a lot. When you look at the French players who've been talking about this match over the last 48 hours, they would include, for example, Giroud. And, and I like at least the fact that the French are being consistently asked to talk about Thierry Henry. They are being asked to talk about somebody who's not taking part. They're being told, there's a legend of your country on the other bench. He's making a difference. And they're agreeing. Yeah, he is making a difference. Now, little details like that don't win the game. But they are the rust that can corrode self-belief. If, for example, you know, it's it's just before halftime and it's nil-nil and bang, there you go. Hazard sets up Lukaku or whatever it might be. Now, I still say it's clear that France was, given the fact that they reached the final um, two years ago, given the fact that they've dealt with Argentina and Uruguay in two different footballing styles, and given the fact that their side is replete with talent, and also that although Belgium won the last friendly between these two sides, 4-3, let's have a scoreline like that, whichever of them wins, you still get the feeling that France will get get the punters' money to make them favourites, and I think that the football cognoscenti will probably say that France are evolved enough and have class in the nature of Kante and Pogba and Varane and Umtiti and Griezmann and Mbappe to suggest that they're favourites. I think that's reasonable. But when you've got Giroud saying, um, of course, I'll be trying to show Titi that he's picked the wrong side, but then in the next breath saying... I don't want to go home to the Premier League to have the piss taken out of me by Belgians week in, week out, either at Chelsea or in every second club that we face. There's a far greater sense of threat to the French that their humble, smaller, chips-eating neighbours in this derby could not quite make it into an FA Cup tie. That's wrong because Belgium have too much class football. But the guy that France couldn't cope with last time was big old Fellaini. And it was Fellaini who helped spark and, and continue the revolution against Japan. So I, I just have to tell you that the aside from, they call it morbo in Spanish journalism, Spanish football, don't they? Morbo is this not quite morbid anticipation of a match that brings extra elements, whether it be uh, vindication, revenge, whether it be dislike, whether it be the first game... Cristiano Ronaldo plays for Juventus against Madrid. That'll be morbo, morbo, morbo. And baby, that's what this game has got. There's team news, which the day before match day minus one. So on Sunday, it was interesting to know that neither Pavard, Umtiti, Kante, Joris or Varane trained. Each of them carrying knocks um, from the last game against Uruguay. Pavard saying, I finished that game, I played that game on one leg. It's still expected that although Mendy, Benjamin Mendy, the, the crazy, characterful, lovely fullback at City, is fit to take over from Pavard if needed. I think the team stays the same except Tolisso, who we both praised in the victory of the quarterfinal over Uruguay because of his, his cleverness in winning the free kick from which the first goal comes and then the assist to... Griezmann for the second. Matuidi probably comes in for Tolisso. And if Pavard is fit, he um, he keeps his game. And the other little tidbit, if you'll pardon the expression, is that Adil Rami um, 
centre half lately of Milan, Valencia, Sevilla. So normally is um, Rami's squeeze been Pamela for quite some time now. She left it too late to apply to be on the French Federation plane that's taken the French team's families to St. Petersburg. So the French Federation did what? They invited her. So Pamela will be there. And Hang on a second. So they don't get in touch with Thierry Henry. They lose sight by their own admission of Thierry Henry. But they've got Pamela Anderson on speed dial. Oh, I wish I was as concise as you are. You've, you've summed it up pretty nicely there, mathematician. Let's blow our own trumpet to get off this whole game for a second or two. Because Benjamin Pavard's goal may yet be amongst, you know, a beauty parade of strikes. May yet be the goal of the tournament. And he's a Stuttgart footballer. And it was the big interview what won it. Because our lovely guest um, in the East End of London, I don't know how many summers ago, Neil, two summers ago? I think so. Season two of the big interview. The Hammer, Hitzelsberger, the Hammer, with his brilliant stories of sneaking away from Bayern Munich to fulfil his love of Aston Villa. It's not quite how it happened, but it's pretty damn close. That interview still available in our back catalogue? I'm sure it is. One of the most interesting, funny, self-effacing, articulate interviews I've ever been part of. He was working at Stuttgart when Chumlafiz told him about this kid at Lille. He'd never heard of Benjamin Pavard before. He was tipped off that there was, as in, this is his own words in The Guardian, a young defender who was struggling to get opportunities at Lille and that we might want to check out. Hitz says, so I watched some videos, liked what I saw and made contact with a local journalist who covers League One and asked for his advice. That guy told me that Benjamin was a real talent and the only reason he wasn't playing at Lille was because the manager there preferred more experienced footballers. So my colleague went to Lille and watched Benjamin in training and also having liked what he saw then, recommended that we sign him. Then came a debut, um, which was in the first game of the season, uh, when Stuttgart had just been relegated. So it was October 2016 in the German second division. So from October 2016 to summer 2018, scoring one of the great World Cup goals, they were playing Greuter Fürth at home. They won 4-0. And as well as scoring the third, Pavard set one up that Hitz describes as an incredible pass from centre-back playing a perfectly weighted ball right through midfield and practically onto the toes of Carlos Mane. The type of pass you'd expect to see from an experienced playmaker, not a young defender. And Hitz adds, this is lovely, as I watched from the stands, I thought there's no way Benjamin could be that good. I was wrong. So, listen, stories like that, whoever wins, I'm not escaping what I hope will not be your question to predict a winner unless you go first. Whatever happens in St. Petersburg, I'm perfectly happy that these two teams have shown the quality to be in the semi-final. And frankly, I, 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 you know, unless there's an aberration in St. Petersburg, I won't be particularly unhappy whichever side qualifies to the final on Sunday. I agree with that. I'm really looking forward to this semi-final. I think it's got the makings of Cracker. Yeah, I, I hear that. And I watched what I thought was a completely drained Belgium side by the end of the Brazil match. And I think one of my habits in the long, long past days when I used to have a punt is knowing a very big deal of the right information and then misusing it. So the heart says, well, if they can, as the players have been saying, well, if they can beat Brazil, they can certainly beat France. 
But they clung on um, against Brazil. Roberto Martinez didn't make substitutes quickly enough. So my argument is that I still think Courtois can be the deciding player. I think Courtois has one special talent, which even given Lloris's save um, from Cáceres the other day and the fact that he is an elite goalkeeper, Courtois is stung by the fact that he's not considered the world's number one, where he has the talent to be considered the world's number one. And for example, if you compare him to Manuel Neuer now or at any time over the last two or three years, there's no question in my mind he's a greater goalkeeper. And what's more, he's playing for a move to Madrid. He wants to be back where his kids live. He knows that Florentino Perez is an absolute sucker for World Cup stories. And I think he has a motivation beyond even beating France and winning the World Cup. And I think he can be, could be, the determining player. And the other factor which might be determining is if Roberto Martinez recognises what he saw for the last 35 minutes of the game against Brazil and either starts or uses earlier Dembele, Carrasco, Janusai. There are a number of players who can step in and give Belgium added impetus and freshness and, and keep the quality level at the same bar. So I, I'm not sure. I, I'm genuinely not sure. I have a feeling that it's Belgium's moment, but they can't. They will not beat France unless they handle parts of the game in a superior way than they did in the second half against Brazil. OK, that's our show. We'll preview England versus Croatia tomorrow. We'll also have podcasts for you after each of the semi-finals over the next two days. Thank you for listening. You can support the podcast by leaving a review on iTunes. And after the music from Be Your Jacket, Graham will tell you how you can join our supporters trust at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter in time for a brand new season of big interviews coming soon. I really hope you're enjoying these World Cup shows. We've got huge plans for next season, but we do need your help to make them happen. Go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, a member, to join us, to support us. You'll get an extra big interview every month, plus lots of other bonus content. Last season, our members got nine exclusive big interviews, including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Dini, and Roberto Di Matteo. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Do it now, please.